Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Still looking at each other during... Though I've been uh, actually just looking away. Yeah, you haven't during. been making eye contact as such. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a like a cornered animal. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we get to do while I was up here visiting you in Seattle, Adam, is we got to go to the Cinerama Dome yeah. and uh, watch a 70 millimeter print of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And uh, it was really fun. We saw some friends of DeSoto there. We did. Good. Always good to confirm that there are real people out there listening to this program. Yeah. <laughs> real people who uh, who are are plenty fun to hang out with in a public setting. Yeah. We uh, we actually talked to a few, and then when we were like walking away from the theater, we uh, you know just like halfway down the block, we heard some people yelling our names. Yeah. That <laughs> and, was fun. Uh, yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> Maybe the only circumstance where I could see enjoying being yelled at. I will know that we have really taken over the Star Trek fan culture when in a screening of that film, lots of people get up and start cheering when Kim Cattrall shoots the pot with the mashed potatoes in it. The best scene in the best Star Trek film yeah. is that scene. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> she really she's big dogging the shit out of Chekhov in that scene I loved watching that movie and sort of like sort of but not sort of writing a show around it like yeah. like for a future tour that's gonna be so much fun I agree great film it was really fun to see it projected uh not a film I've seen projected since it was new in theaters and I was yeah. like an excited kid yeah for me too I was I was like emotionally taken by it when it started. Yeah. Like it was it was just a joy to be in that room and to see it again. I will say though, I was a little surprised at the condition of the print. Yeah. In that uh it was not perfect or even really really good. Like in parts it it seemed like it had been pretty chopped up. Yeah, there was a couple of missing moments, I want to mm-hmm. say. Like uh there was a weird like cut I forget what they were cutting from, but it just cut right into the bit of Kim Cattrall explaining the etymology of the word sabotage. Yeah. And it doesn't give you any context for it. And when you just hear her going, hence the word sabotage, it's just like, what was that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable because the way that these films physically work is that like they come in canisters that require assembly and disassembly. Right. And I believe there's only one print of this film, one or two prints of it, and right now they're going around the country yeah. being screened. And so, I mean, regular wear and tear is going to damage a film regardless, and when you combine travel to that kind of wear and tear and projection, yeah. I mean, these things happen. I think I think it's a print that is ready for remastering in the way that many 70 millimeter screenings are right now like you can go see a perfect print of 2001 in 70 millimeter and you won't notice that that it's not digital even it, it'll be so perfect so, right 
I think this is one of those those prints that that I would definitely recommend someone go and see because it's special and it's a great movie. Yeah, but uh, it's also just really fun to see it with a room full of people that know all the beats but are all are still like excited f- yeah. for it. Like like it's a hot room in that way where yeah. like every joke gets a big pop from the audience. Yeah, and that's just really fun. Like it's a fun communal experience. It really works. It it was amazing to be there and to know where all those beats were and to and to like love on a film the way that that room did i yeah. thought was was a real treat i'm so glad that we were able to go see it yeah it was really really cool well adam last episode we opened up a bunch of packages and i'm looking at two boxes full of cards these are special packages from the customizable card game one is mirror mirror and it's got mirror universe kira mirror universe spock and kirk on the cover and the other is Rules of Acquisition, and it's got Quark on the cover. I thought we could do a little asymmetric war by we uh, we flip a coin, and we uh, you know like whoever wins the coin toss gets to pick a box, and then we see who wins a couple of rounds of card war with mismatched sets. I love that idea. I All mean, right. because who wins card war is already subjective. Let's make it even more <laughs> subjective. <laughs> All right. Well, what we have here is a uh, Friends of DeSoto best boss I ever had, Greatest Generation Challenge coin, as designed by our friends Carl Huber and Felipe Sobriero. I'm going to flip this. Do you want to call it? Uh, by by calling it, uh, do I just get my choice? Yeah, you get your choice of first of, of which box you want to go with. Sounds great. All right. I'm a little scared to catch this coin because it's very heavy and I feel like it might hurt me. Do you want to? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Heads. And you got it. That's right. a That's a confirmed head. All right. Uh, I think my choice is going to be like, look, I think the conceit of the card game is choosing which is the most powerful card. Right. I'm going to choose the Mirror Mirror cards just because, like, who's more dangerous than those of the Mirror Universe? What my theory presupposes is maybe it's Quark. Yeah. <laughs> We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. Quark! Go to war! Yeah, so let's tear into these fresh boxes these are still in their saran wrap or whatever what's that reddit area uh r slash oddly satisfying <laughs> we're uh, we're opening these fresh fresh boxes yeah these are like the display boxes like they're like quark's head is a cutout so it's meant to be folded over and and uh, stuck on the on is the there- shelf in your comic book and game store is there the promise of a uh, look at that that looks great of a of an autographed card or anything in here or a, a piece of a uniform i don't think they do that in the ccg i do love the the pop-up display box it's very fun that's, that's oh and there's a there there's a rules slip sheet in here too yeah okay. should we ever decide to play a game that is not of our own design <laughs> As, uh, as my favorite rapper Boots Riley once said, I got game like I read the directions. <laughs> All right, here we go. I've opened a Rules of Acquisition pack. You have opened a Mirror Universe pack. Uh, do we want to shuffle these, or do we just want to flip them over as they were in order? Yeah, let's uh, let's give them a quick shuffle, or or cut the cards. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. We'll. Uh... You cut mine. I'll cut yours. Great. Okay. You ready to go? Three, two, one. 
I've got Brunt, who is a uh, liquidator, a very important person, a liquidator for the Ferengi Commerce Authority. Rude, arrogant, corrupt, despised, and envied by Ferengi everywhere. Strives to ruin Quark. Uh, this guy comes with an integrity of two, a cunning of eight, and a strength of five. Mm. Uh, the degree to which that character is despised might be the <laughs> only way uh, that he might have a chance against Overseer Odo. Oh, man. <laughs> who has integrity of five, cunning of seven, and strength of ten. Damn. Very little is made of Odo's strength relative to other things. Like, he's... He's like Data in a lot of ways. Right. Except, like, Data had the opportunity to bend a piece of metal. Yeah, we never see Odo pinching the barrel of a gun closed or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I would like to see that. Yeah, or just, like, get in, get in like, a... <laughs> In like a arm wrestling competition, yeah, and just like make his arm extra big. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, give us more of that. Give us Odo feats of strength, please. Yeah. I think you're a clear winner in that. Even though I don't know anything about Brent, but Odo did get blown up in that one episode. It's true. Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. I have a tactic card. It's a Ferengi energy weapon. Attack bonus plus two if you have a Ferengi ship firing. Hit. And then there's like some symbols. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this card gets me, if anything. I think you may have me beat in the sense <laughs> that uh, that weapons against people, I think, are, are generally going to win. I have, sure. uh, I have Aramax. You're of a uh, guns do kill people kind of... <laughs> Philosophy. Aramax is not the name of a uh, of an of an allergy suppressant. Isn't it a, uh, isn't that a type get, of sneaker? You can get that without a prescription. <laughs> uh, Aramax is representative representative of Cardassians in the mirror universe. He strives to be noticed without raising the ire of Security Chief Garrick. He has done neither thus far. Uh, so integrity four, cunning eight, strength six. I he's think, like mirror universe lieutenant toast. Yeah, I think he's. <laughs> uh, I think he's losing to your weapon card. Yeah, that guy seems like a real a real nothing burger. Yeah. All right, three, two, one. I have a mind dilithium card. Oh, which is the Hulken planet. Hmm. Which is a, a planet we have uh, we have come to know in in Star Trek Discovery, really. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a different looking card than the rest. It's not a character card. I have a similar looking card, and mine is maybe slightly less exciting even than mine dilithium. It is collect sample. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a picture of a gaseous cloud. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I would vote for, for dilithium planet over gas cloud. All right, so you you're... Know, uh, you're up two to one. Is it best of five? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Let's do that. Three, two, one. Oh, goody. I have a Jem Hadar character here. Name of Eden Atal. A security representative of Jem Hadar assigned to guard Dominion operations on Cardassia Prime? Hmm? Fourth bred in the Alpha Quadrant. Integrity of six, cunning of eight. Strength of nine. So slightly weaker than Mirror Universe Odo. Hmm. Interesting. I have got another 
what I will probably call placeholder character, much like uh, <laughs> much like we got Aramax as he's a representative of a Cardassian. I have Tagus, who is representative of a Romulan security officer. He's just a pretty standard issue looking Romulan. Uh, with an integrity of five, a cunning of seven, and a strength of eight. I am going to choose your Gem Hadar person as the yeah, winner. He's got one he's got one numeric up on everything that, that Romulan's got. So it's even it's an even game right now. Anybody yeah. could win this. Yeah, and it all comes down to this, Adam. One card. Last goal wins. One flip. <laughs> one million dollars. <laughs> Three, two, one. I have an incident card. I also have an incident card. How are these organized this way? That was a strange uh, job of cutting we did. Yeah. Uh, my incident is Emblem of the Empire. <laughs> it seeds or plays on a table. You may download the Art of Diplomacy. And then there's, there's just a whole bunch of gobbledygook about, like, how to play this card in the game. Yeah. Uh, what's yours? Mine is Bribery. Seeds or plays on table... It's a bunch of uh, explanation about how it works in the actual game, and it's a picture of Quark maybe bribing that Brunt guy from the other card that I flipped over. I don't think we know enough about this game to choose a winner between two incidents. Yeah. I would vote that I think we, we need to uh, flip one more. Flip another tiebreaker. All right. Three, two, one. Mm. I have Lieutenant Kyle. He's a character from the original series. <laughs> John Kyle is Relief Helmsman. And transporter technician aboard the Entrepreneur. Uh, he holds a level two pilot. He holds a level two pilot certificate, and uh, has an integrity of seven, a cunning of seven, and a strength of six. He's a real silver fox. Oh yeah, look at that guy. He's a he's a rebel without a starship. Yeah, he is very <laughs> James Deany, isn't he? This is actually an interesting si- situation because I don't have a comparable card, but I do feel like there is maybe a case to be made for mine. <laughs> I have an interrupt, and it is a picture of vacuum-desiccated remains. It's the uh, the hockey pucks of Ferengi ashes that they buy at the end of their lives. Wow. Yeah. I think, I mean, I would choose that yeah. as, like, just subjectively the cooler of the two cards. <laughs> yeah, who's that fucking James Dean wannabe? Yeah. I want a hockey puck. You know, guess who's getting cremated the normal way after death? <laughs> Lieutenant Kyle. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to want to collect his hockey puck. (laughs) All right. Well, I barely eked that one out, Adam. Another hit segment of the (laughs) card game in this episode of of Greatest Gen. Yeah. Always a treat. Haven't done that in a while. Feels good. Adam, what do you say we get into Season 3, Episode 6, The Abandoned? I'm so ready for that. Do you realize how incredible this is? Ben, we open in a bustling Quark's casino scene. Yeah, the economic depression that has been described in the last few episodes seems to have dissipated somewhat, or maybe this is just a particularly busy night. There's a guy with very beautiful hair playing Game of Dabo, and his loaf is like these kind of two like half circles like pushed together that kind of look like a butt on his forehead. Which are perfectly matched by the Dabo girl's giant cleavage. <laughs> There's a real like symmetry in the in the cutting back and forth in these shots that I feel like might even be intentional. 
really draws the eye. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like uh, he's got unfrosted Cinnabon <laughs> yeah. on his head. We talk about how uh, Nanavi Yuzutor wanted Kira's hairstyle to be something that a... You know, a very tactically minded woman would realistically have, not something that would take a long time every morning. This guy full, like hard in the other direction with the hairstyle his character has. He is being gamed by her. Uh, We'll come to know her later as Marta. But this Davo girl is is worldly and street smart. And we know this right away. Yeah, she uh, she talks him into continuing to play despite the fact that he seems to know when to hold him and knows when to fold him, knows when to walk away, and knows when to run. Unfortunately, he succumbs to the power of her worldliness. <laughs> and you're making kind of a globe shape in right. front of you. Yeah. A couple of globes even. Yeah. She's a two globe <laughs> level of worldliness. Ben, this is something that we've experienced in person. When we did our Greatest Gen Con tour in Las Vegas, uh, we spent some time in hotel casinos there with aerialists working above the pits, above the gambling pits. And so so you would see like scantily clad women doing gymnastics above the tables. But the difference between that situation and what we see in this casino is that there's actual interaction between them and the players. Right. It's the aerialists are the croupiers. Yeah. That would be so unfair <laughs> if, if it happened this way, like in Las Vegas, like, oof, that's rough. Like, like you want to leave, you feel like you're up and then like the aerialist comes down yeah. and it's like, Hey, you're not going to leave already. Are you? <laughs> I really felt like we had a connection. I got a few more tricks I wanted to show you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cheating. Um, there are two gentlemen in this bar who are watching this game with great interest. One is Quark, and he seems almost disapproving of this move that she pulls. Like, he's kind of scowling at this whole situation. Yeah. Which I didn't quite get. No. Uh, but the other uh, gentleman is quite delighted, and that is young Jake Sisko, who we get an age on in this episode. He is 16 years old. Yeah. And he is there to have a hang with her when she goes on break and like, you know, claps her hands and shows that there's nothing yeah. nothing in her in her sleeves and, and goes on break. She goes over to hang out with him and it's pretty clear that they're like an item. You are evil. Who? Me? It's pretty great. Like an item to the extent that the idea of her being introduced to his father is a topic that they have already discussed and she has received an invitation to dinner from Ben Sisko, which comes as kind of a big surprise to Jake. This feels like the first time in DS9 that we've gotten a Dabo girl or a scantily clad hanger on, if you were to describe like this type of person on the show, right? with their own motivations yeah. and personality. And the thing that, that stands out most about Marta is that like, there's an attitude that we've seen to these girls up until now that seems like super flat right. and professional and like professionally flirtatious. But Marta seems genuinely really nice to Jake, especially, and yeah. really into him in a way that never feels squicky at all. Yeah, it's such a strange choice as a TV show, like especially in a country where we're always getting a story about a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm lady who had like 
sex with one of her male students and is now being sentenced to something. Yeah. The fact that she's 20 and he's 16 is treated as inappropriate only in the way that like a, an older boy dating a younger girl yeah. is in like a high school context. Yeah. She's a an adult and he is not. Yeah. And it seems like people's values about that are really different in this time and place. Yeah, it seems that way. And you know, this is an this is an episode about maturity and its relationship to age in a couple of different areas in both the A and the B story. Yeah. And I think Cisco's predisposition to being against this relationship doesn't really have to do with the age, does it? It's, I think it's more ha- it's more he's more prejudicial against Dabo girls than he is about the August January relationship <laughs> that that is happening, you know? Yeah, it's and and like it, it's like a Larry Miller in 10 Things I Hate About You kind of thing where it's like in where in that movie that's like like a misogynist being ultra protective of his daughters that he sort of considers to be chattel. Mm-hmm. The deep slumber of a father whose daughters aren't out being impregnated. And in this, it's like, it's kind of the same thing, but because it's a boy, it yeah. it like doesn't quite read that way. Yeah. It's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> I think by saying all of this, what we haven't said up until now is like, this could so easily be a bad Star Trek double standard depiction of this relationship fair and i think they take great care in avoiding that here right but like why set the challenge for yourself in the first place why can't there just be like a bajoran girl that's also 16 running around the station completely agree yeah like shouldn't there be like a business owner who has a kid or something you know I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. You're going to love my dad's cooking. A uh, familiar purple hair lady comes into the bar. <laughs> this is a surprise. A pleasant one, I hope. Yeah, she's the lady that gave Quark the earring that then sent uh, Kira and O'Brien to a prison planet yeah. to save a famous Bajoran freedom fighter. Yeah, that big raid that they pulled. There was a three-episode arc about that guy. Yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? Is he still in the picture? He was killed. Oh, he was killed? He, he died a hero. Oh, good for him. <laughs> but I'm glad you asked because Quark doesn't seem to remember that either. <laughs> like, she, she portrays herself as the long-term business associate of Quark. That They've done deals together before. Quark seems to have a pretty short memory about uh, how those deals end. Yeah. And uh, what she's got is uh, is a wrecked car. Like she's uh, she's got something in the yard that might interest yeah, him. I didn't realize that Quark was uh, was in, available to acquire scrap metal, but apparently he is. It's fun to see how the different areas of DS9 are partitioned and used by certain people. Like it makes a ton of sense that Quark would have storerooms and cargo bays and and yeah. what have you and so this actually makes a ton of sense that so, he would be in an, in a position to accept something like this so what uh what happens is sort of like the second act of an episode of storage wars he goes into this cargo bay <laughs> and uh it's just heaps of junk everywhere we yeah. get a, a nice cameo from that 
girder that fell on Joachim in the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I shall avenge you. All the greatest hits. Lots of tubes and wires and pipes lying around everywhere. And uh, Quark feels like he's kind of been taken for a ride by the purple hair lady. Fool me. We can't get fooled again. Yeah, he's not feeling great. At about this moment in time, we've gotten all of our credits, and now our second Avery Brooks-directed episode of DS9. Yeah. He's Which... a, I mean, he uh, he did a great job the first time around. It seems pretty soon to get a second crack, though, and that's fun. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot to do in this episode in a way that I really appreciated. I mean, I, I unlike the first episode when he was largely absent, and and like Frakes' first episode that he directed with uh, Lol the Android, you know, he has one little cameo where uh, you know he he comes in to the bar and she uh, she lays a smooch on him. Commander, what are your intentions toward my daughter? But that's like all he—that's his only appearance as a character in that episode, and it seems like maybe that's kind of a standard practice, like you. We are going to, as a show, make it possible for our actors to take a take a turn in the director's chair. But the first time out, we want them to like not have too much to distract them from that task. He will direct three episodes in season three, which feels like a lot. Yeah, that's like as much as most of the directors in the rotation, right? Yeah, yeah. Golden Golden Quark finds uh, that this is not just a wrecked car. In fact, uh, and and she described this as the uh, the salvage of a ship that crashed in the Gamma Quadrant. So I guess he's like he was worried that it was going to be like hot merchandise, and mm-hmm. she's like, no, this is actually legitimate sa- salvage, and uh, it's all yours for three bars of gold press latinum. But uh, it's not just salvage because when he's leaving the cargo bay to go uh, be angry about this room full of crap he bought <laughs> here's uh here's the muffled cries of a baby what do you make of the baby container opening up like an alien egg yeah i definitely saw the comparison it's yeah. it's it's what a face hugger comes out of i like that parallel here yeah. especially once we once we begin to see how dangerous those contents are. Hard to imagine that that's not semi-intentional. Yeah. But it's sort of like the acoustically sound version of the alien egg because it's got that like uh, that egg crate foam on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the B story, Jake is upset that Marta has been invited to dinner without his express written consent of he or Major League Baseball. Yeah. (laughs) And what we gather is like, this is a little bit of a passive aggressive move from his father because we find out through conversations that Ben has with other crew people that he is predisposed to disliking Dabo girls generally and specifically not wanting this relationship to continue. And so this feels like a hostile act of a father against a son. But it's also like Jake has been saying like, oh, yeah, like we should invite her over. And at some point, Cisco said to Jake, if you don't, I will. Yeah. And Jake called his bluff on that by continuing to not do anything. So everything we know about the relationship between Jake and Ben for the past 30 episodes has been one of like, 
total love and support and affection. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of the rare times when we have one making moves against the other in not a totally positive way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's because Jake, I think, senses his father's disapproval. Mm -hmm. Like his father is not... Uh, voicing his disapproval explicitly, but it's it's evident in the way he behaves, and so he's you know he's just not pushing the issue in that way. But they like they have a, a scene where they talk about it, and it's really fun to see like they really write the characters similarly, like the the kinds of expressions that they use and stuff. Yeah, is is really similar. Uh, I mean, there's nothing to prepare for. It's just dinner. Exactly. Right. Right. It's fun to see two characters that have similar personalities get to loggerheads over something like this. It's a scene that made me think a lot about the difference between a dad who is self-aware about his ability to embarrass his son yeah. like intentionally, like as a technology, right. versus a dad that isn't self-aware and does that quite accidentally. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, I think that if you're that self-aware, you're providing like a growing up environment in which your kid will also be self-aware and jake is super self-aware like he's not he's not like slamming the door and turning on loud music in his room he's he's like expressing his feelings about this you know it it took like a little push to get them to have this conversation it seems like they've needed to have this conversation yeah so Instead of like melting down, Jake is like, "I, it's fine. I understand. It's just dinner. Like, we're gonna make this work." It's. I just felt blindsided by it, and yeah. he's like really honest about his feelings and stuff. I really like how this story weaves the A and the B together without hitting you over the head over the similarities right. that are taking place. Like there is, there is a awkward maturation happening in Six Bay right now where what they will come to know as a Jem'Hadar child is growing at an exponential rate, Yeah, has turned from baby to eight-year-old very quickly, is yeah. like speaking in full sentences. What kind of metabolism do they have? What's their growth rate? They're lethal at eight months, and I do mean lethal. I love the scene where it's Cisco's first exposure to the fact that they have this baby on board, and they, they start with him just turning to Quark, going, You bought a baby? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if I would, I would watch the episode with the Netflix caption, Quark buys a baby. <laughs> and like, the fun thing about it is. It kind of tracks. Clark yeah. might buy a baby. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got to believe that that's on the whiteboard somewhere and like with a line that struck through it. Like we can't quite do that. Or, or, or not a line struck through it, but like a circle drawn around it and pointed over to a, a Jim Hadar yeah. grows up on the station. Yeah. My question during this scene is like, I was full, like they do a lot of talking about a thing and then the camera pans over to the thing. Yeah. And in this scene, we get the discussion of this, of this boy who has grown 12 sizes too big for his baby clothes, but we don't see the commensurate, like incredible Hulk style tearing <laughs> of those clothes, which would have been really fun. I wanted a scene where they talked about like what they were going to put this kid in because mm -hmm. he has really like. Jem Hadar. It kind of looks like what a Jem Hadar would wear when they're not on duty. Yeah. And that seems like a little bit on the nose. <laughs> like maybe they should have put him in 
something that was like you know put him in a in a Wesley Crusher Kuji sweater or something yeah. just to just to soften him up give him give him an option not to be a a ninja yeah because they put him in a ninja costume basically yeah <laughs> and in an episode that is about nature versus nurture maybe more than anything else yeah like they are they are nurturing him with these costume choices another character that i kind of wish like i i, I don't know how you would have done this but just maybe like a cameo like a facetime cameo from deanna troy because like she has a lot of experience with raising a child that is growing up super fast and right. has an alien perspective on things and also is like super emotionally sophisticated and this kid's feelings are not really anybody's concerns like he has really strong emotional needs that I don't think anybody really takes seriously they yeah. all want to talk him into being not what he is yeah there are so many parallels between this character and and the other characters on the show, and maybe most primarily, it's his relationship with Odo. Uh, Mr. Bucket. We get to see the inside of Odo's condo yeah. uh, because Kira has come by with a housewarming gift. I suppose you'd like to see my new quarters. Everyone wants to see your quarters. If anyone you knew had turned the inside of their home into a playground i think that would be a red flag yeah sure that's that's not good hey kids come come see the playground i built in my living room the cartoons are on tv all the time yeah like that's not a good look but it's what it does is serve to demonstrate how close Kira and Odo have become yeah. uh, since their time on Planet Bucket. Yeah, it's but, it's also a plant that kind of looks like the plants on Planet Bucket, which yeah. he's so resistant to it being presented. He, you know, I think he's feeling a little bit weird about inviting her into the into the spot. Yeah, but. I would think that getting a plant that looks like something from Planet Bucket would be very exciting for him. Like, oh, yeah. cool, another thing to put in my room o things to shapeshift like. Yeah, but it is treated uh, very, like, neutrally in that respect. Yeah. Kira's really nice about this whole thing. She is a good friend to him. She really is. She knows to push the issue in the right way. Yeah. Because his... You know, he's he's a little closed off and she knows that she can get him to open up and that it will be good for him yeah. if he opens up a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good that, that, that she pushed him, especially in this episode, because the Jem'Hadar comes to be his roommate <laughs> yeah. in very short order. Um, like, it goes from being my new quarters to our quarters over the course of, like, 10 minutes in this episode. Right. Because uh, at some point, like, the kid is a full-grown 19-year-old badass and runs out of Six Bay and starts, you know, punching <laughs> civilians and stuff. And uh, Interesting choice by Avery Brooks here to go POV. Yeah. That's a technique that we don't see too often in Star Trek in general. It is super weird, but great in that moment because the I think they've done a lot to make these uh, the Jem'Hadar kind of an unknowable force of nature that's just terrifying and to feel the fear uh, and frenzy that he's in by by taking his perspective for a second really helps us as a viewer like uh, sympathize with 
with him. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale, fucking pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dead state. I don't use the bucket anymore. I think it's crucial to note that Avery Brooks, as the director of this episode, is very mindful of people's reactions to someone based on preconceived prejudices. I mean, he is depicting people fearful of an alien planet. Like, fearful (laughs) of him, of this Jem'Hadar person being out in the world. And I don't think that's an accident at all. That is not incidental. I think Avery Brooks is making a statement here about about what it's like to be looked at as a threat. Right. Just but from people that you don't know. Sure. And uh, and uh, it's a sophisticated statement on that because it's obviously somebody that's thought about that in a sophisticated way. Yeah. In this scene, the Jem'Hadar, who never gets a name, should we name him? <laughs> the actor who plays him is named Bumper Robinson. Whoa. Which is, I mean... What? <laughs> One of the great actor names that we've ever Seriously. gotten. Yeah. Bumper Robinson is awesome. Yeah. He has uh he has a list of credits, the length of your arm. He is he has been in a lot and he is great in this role. Is he like a TV guy mostly? He does TV and video games. Whoa. And and uh, animation. So he has a great he's voice. A, yeah. And he really acts through the loaf too. Like not all of the Gem Hadar we've encountered, like it that's a real intense face makeup. Yeah. And uh, he really, like, you see, like, the emotions wash over his face, which means he's doing a lot. Yeah, he's uh, very eye-expressive in a great way. He runs down the promenade and is going to go for Odo, and Odo kind of turns into into goo, and he, like, actually just goes right through him. Yeah. Which... uh, I would I would have liked to see Odo splatter everywhere and then like reassemble. Right. But instead he just uh he just kind of maintains his shape. And uh, when wh- he when he turns around the there's like a switch that flips in this kid's head that you know puts him on a very deferential footing with Odo. Yeah, it's a powerful scene. And what we come to start to understand is that this this guy's genetically engineered to defer to to founders in all contexts and in all cases. And he's also genetically engineered to think that everybody that's not a founder is worse than him and that he should probably kill them unless told otherwise. Yeah. And uh, that's such a powerful emotion in his head. I mean, this kid's maturation has drawn the attention of big starfleet who intends to deploy a ship to pick him up to take him back to a starbase for further study and this is a they're gonna like alien autopsy him they're gonna do to him what they did to odo and this i mean is, not starfleet but like what was done to odo this is a great moment for odo's character because he sticks up for him and and makes the case that this is this isn't right this course of action let me hear you say that ain't right, that ain't right. it's too close to home like he can't and odo is already enough out of the chain of command you know he's mm-hmm. he occupies such a unique position that it's kind of almost customary for him to to chafe against decisions like this mm-hmm. at this point but this one's very personal for him yeah in the brig this gem hadar is clearly going through some withdrawal symptoms and these are a craving for something that dr bashir can't quite synthesize 
uh, in order to help. And yeah. so he's like, the Jem'Hadar is doing that thing where he's like running into the force field in the brig <laughs> yeah. and, and like falling down over and over again. She had them all attacking the fences when the feeders came. The fences are electrified though, right? That's right, but they never attack the same place twice. And Odo walks in and, and has sort of a, because of his founder's backstory like he's able to calm him with his very presence i don't want any more tests dr bashir is trying to help you you should let him you may run your tests yeah there is nothing that odo can't tell this kid to do that he won't do you know including smile which is (laughs) something like when odo smiles at you is a thing that you don't want to do yourself it's (laughs) Odo as smile instructor is probably the funniest scene in the episode just because Odo is already established to be bad at it. And he is like, maybe what you should do is turn that frown upside down. (laughs) It's funny that that continues to be a thing. Like the Odo smile is is a recurring theme. Yeah. The doctor is on the case of like how this this withdrawal symptom is something that he detected early on and he's been trying to figure out what he can do to, you know, help the kid out. But it seems a little bit like the lysine contingency in, in Jurassic Park. Dr. Wu inserted a gene that creates a single faulty enzyme in protein metabolism. The animals can't manufacture the amino acid lysine. Unless they're completely supplied with lysine by us, they slip into a coma and die. This is a nutrient that a Jem'Hadar needs to live that is only administered by the founders, apparently. It would seem in the Star Trek universe as though life has not found a way <laughs> with respect to the Jem'Hadar. Well, that's the thing. Like, they keep talking about how the founders' genetic skills are really off the charts. Like, their ability to design species are is really crazy. And, like, everything about this kid is evidence of that. The fact that he has built-in ability to, like, learn to speak, mm-hmm. to learn to fight. The fact that he has a very strong sense of what his place is in the world and specifically relative to founders. Like he's never had anybody like explain any of this to him. It just comes from within him. And he also grew up in like three days. So yeah. (laughs) One of the parts of this episode that doesn't quite hang together cleanly is that the station takes custody of this wreckage and yet they don't do any sort of survey of what's in it until this moment when they when they start to put together the idea of well if you were to bundle this baby into a cargo ship you would naturally include the baby formula or whatever <laughs> in the packages so yeah. uh, Bashir and O'Brien I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien this is fucking spectacular start flipping over cases until they finally find uh, yeah. this formula and then Bashir O'Brien is it. back by the way yeah uncommented on why he was gone for a while yeah he has kind of a big part toward the end of this episode yeah they find the uh, milk crate mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's the uh, it's the substance that this kid is, is missing and they like figure out the dosage by uh, slowly increasing until he seems to be stabilized. In so many episodes, the doctor as miracle worker is turned into a epiphany that is amazing, but it is uh, treated so soberly here. Like this is just treated as a professional win for Bashir. Like he right. figured it out. He has the tools to do it. The Jem'Hadar has been ported into right. this stuff and it's done. And I like that. It's kind of like when you 
watch one of those trashy true crime shows on deep cable and like the detective is explaining how he like cracked the case of the husband that killed his wife or whatever like it's never because they actually like put it together from clues it's always because the wife's sister called them six months later and said Mm -hmm. that she knew what the what really happened right you know (laughs) like the doctor just kind of gets handed this win in a pelican case There are conversations between characters in this episode that if they were to take place in Next Generation would seem very lawyer Picardy. Mm-hmm. But there's a great conversation that happens in the set between Odo and the Jem'Hadar that has to do with superiority versus inferiority versus equality. Yeah, and, and Odo has like fairly conventional values on this relative to us and the Federation and stuff. Yeah. But this Jem'Hadar, like, deep in his bones, believes in a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, we were talking the other day about how, like, you can take a step back when you're hanging out with your dog and go, this dog has thousands of years of selective breeding to make him like me and mm-hmm. want to do things that I want him to do. And, it, like, a lot of his instincts are surrounding like making this relationship work yeah and vice versa like his face is cute in a way that like tricks my brain into thinking Mm -hmm. he's like me and like Mm -hmm. he thinks i'm like him and i think he's like me and i know that a lot of that is a genetic magic trick yeah but also i fucking love my dog (laughs) yeah and like that's kind of the level on which this gem hadar knows that this like the things he believes are true yeah deep down And, you know, like to take the dog metaphor a little further, like this gem Hadar is destructive and has energies that need to be uh, focused on something in a constructive way. Yeah. And so Odo's idea is to take him to a hollow suite where he can like get some exercise. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Man, I was... I was holding my breath for this. I was a little disappointed that they didn't fire up a wharf program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted that skull-faced guy yeah, to return. the turtle guy. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, I don't want to skip over the big dinner between Marta, Jake, and Ben. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this really happens. Um, <laughs> we get a little... There's a little... Uh, a little backstory that that Cisco's replicator has been shitty. So he has, like, the chief send somebody to... To fix it up. And I wondered, did Cisco cook this dinner or did he just replicate it? Because they just m- made such a big deal about what a, what a skilled chef he is. And like she's complimenting all the food. The replication of the ingredients maybe instead of the, the final product is right. what he's after. Yeah. Does that make it taste better, do you think? It's, I think... In maybe the- he has like a few things that are real. Like he's got like olive oil and you know frozen fish or something from earth yeah i think i think the satisfaction with having made something must have an effect on how much you enjoy consuming it right yeah yeah that's true uh it's like the (laughs) the uh the sandwich that somebody has made for you versus yeah the sandwich that you buy yeah uh one thing that is without question is that marta is great yeah and is intellectually an equal 
to what Cisco is bringing to the table here. Right. Like you get the sense that he was kind of imagining that she would be a bimbo or something. Yeah. And instead she is like going toe to toe with him in the conversation, but also guilelessly revealing things that she knows about Jake that Jake has not revealed to Cisco. And it's not because she's an idiot. It's just because like she knows Jake to be this kid that writes her poems and, you know, plays Domjot and doesn't get stabbed through the back by a Nasigan. Hey, Domjot, human. And all of that comes as a big surprise to, to Cisco. She makes a specific choice to describe him in intellectual terms instead of sexual terms. Like, and, there's and- never a moment where she's like, boy, that Jake Cisco has has the V-shaped torso that I love <laughs> and uh, and that very revealing knuckle onesie like really does it for me. It never even gets close to that. Like she Well, and he describes her in that way too. Like yeah. he like he really admires her writing and like they yeah. clearly have like a connection that's not just yeah. based on how great they both look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Getting a little nervous, Jake uh, squirrels himself away to go check on dessert. Why don't I go see how dessert's coming? (laughs) And there's a little interaction between Ben and Marta that Ben, he's suddenly like kind of vulnerable with her and he says, I feel like I'm learning about my son here when I was expecting to be learning about you and like driving a wedge between the two of you. What I don't like about this conclusion to their conversation is that like I don't like the case that he could want to keep her around purely for OPSEC reasons, you yeah. know, like purely to like figure stuff out about Jake. Right. And I do get that feeling that like he no, sees this he, as an opportunity. I think he sees it as an opportunity, but he's also seeing their relationship as being more of a real thing than yeah. he imagined. And I'm sure that's really hard as a parent to like go from this is a child to this is somebody who's having sex and forming adult relationships with other people to say nothing of like how weird the age difference is like Cisco taking a look at it for real, uh, you know, and getting forming his own opinion about it rather than just what he imagines and fears about it. He, he walks away finding that it's an actual relationship that isn't, a, isn't about him and shouldn't concern him in that way. Maybe more significant than the idea of this being a real relationship is that it is his first relationship that we've at least seen on screen. Sure. Which to me telegraphs a moment down the road where where Jake will be destroyed by the end of this relationship. Yeah. And it is something that uh, that makes me fearful for a character that I really like. Like, uh, Marta's clearly great. Yeah. And yet, I don't see this lasting <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And I hope... Yeah, a 20-year-old woman is uh, up to totally different shit than a 16-year-old boy. Yeah. And, like, also can conceive of the brevity of a relationship in a way that a 16-year-old boy can't. Yeah. You know, like, she can be like, I'll have a fun couple of months with him. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? you really want to do this? On the Hollow Suite, Odo has turned on a very wharf-like calisthenics program for the Gem Hadar to to work on his stress. Yeah, Ben, I was telling you that I went to see uh, a a doctor about 
uh, about some stuff. And one of the intake form questions was, what do you do about your stress? <laughs> and it totally stumped me in a way that, that like was very instructive. Yeah. Like it made me realize that I do need to do something about that. And I will. But this is a scene between he and Odo that makes the case that what this guy needs is to get out his frustrations. Right. It's the equivalent of like beating up a heavy bag or something. It's a thing that Kira isn't super cool with because when she walks in to interrupt it, she pulls Odo off to the side and is like, and, and has another nature versus nurture conversation with him. And Odo makes the case that like, Nothing's going to happen to me. He respects me as a founder. <laughs> like, right. And Kira's like, that's not really what I'm talking about here. <laughs> right. Because like, I think Odo took him in there with the idea that he'll like, he'll scratch this itch in mm-hmm. here. And then when he's at the post office, he won't start chopping people's heads off or whatever. But, but it ignores the like, idea that, that this Jem'Hadar is covered in chicken pox and will always scratch them. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no end to this frustration. She's saying this is fanning a flame that is too big already. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty interesting take on the situation, you know. Do we know if Odo can be killed by him? Like, setting aside the idea that uh, he is predisposed to not act aggressive towards any of the founders like yeah like i don't we saw two depictions of odo's death one was in the mirror universe when he was just gore gunned yeah and then was there another one i, I can't remember so. yeah maybe that was it well he's gotten like very sick a couple of times i don't get the sense that even if he wanted to this gem hadar could kill him physically it's it seems like partly like love robotics kind of a thing where he is like programmed not to be able to, but also it's hard to know. Like if he had one of those knives and cut Odo, does that matter at all? I don't think it does. Yeah. It, it gives him a veneer of safety that it takes Kira to, to puncture. Like just because you're safe doesn't mean anyone else is. And right on the heels of this conversation is the disclosure that as much as Odo didn't want this to happen and has made the case for uh, for the care and feeding of this Jem'Hadar, a ship has been dispatched to pick him up and to take him to be studied. There have been a lot of reveals in this episode, you know, when Odo reveals that he has a lot in co- like like, he has so much in common with this character like he grew up not knowing who his people were and he thinks that he can kind of talk him into like you like if you meet your people you might be disappointed in what kind of people they are Mm -hmm. like here's a video that i have the exact time and date of memorized yeah (laughs) of them beating the shit out of everybody on the d yeah and uh and so and that like totally backfires also he sees he sees all those Starfleets getting their asses handed to them by Jemadar, and he's like, "Cool, like, yeah, where do I sign up?" Total fighting erection. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so when Cisco is announcing to Odo, like, "You've got about five hours left with this kid," he just like invisibles out of the corner with a gun, and is like, "We're getting out of here, Odo. You and me. Come with me if you want to live." It's a scene that really shows the impotence of the Federation in the face of even a single Jemadar. Who wants to do a thing? Right. Because Cisco is compelled to throw them the keys to a runabout and be like, I hope 
Odo can come back, though I have no I have no way to convince you to make that possible. I just like what other choice does he have? It yeah. is the destruction of Deep Space Nine and the murder of a bunch of people there, or something similar happening on the ship that's been sent to take him to a starbase. Right. Or that same thing happening on a on a starbase wide <laughs> level. He's he's done the math. Yeah. And the math uh equals this is going to result in the least amount of danger for everyone involved. Right. If we're making the case for a course of action based on the body count that it will yield, probably letting this guy go back to the Gamma Quadrant is the lowest body count thing we can do. Yeah. At least for us. Like, he'll probably land on some planet that the Dominion wants to take over and murder 20,000 people, but that's not our problem. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, like, it kind of is the Borg's question, right? Like, can you, in good conscience save the life of a Borg? Can you reunite him with the collective in a way that would be appreciated by the Borg that does not further the Borg's cause against you? Like That ev- is the Borg's primary weakness is their reluctance to accept gifts. <laughs> like their, their great discomfort around birthdays and holidays. Yeah, yeah. Like, they don't even tell people their birthday because yeah. they don't, they just, uh, they want to head that off at the pass. You want to kill a bunch of Borgs is, uh, is you tell the kitchen that it's their birthday and they, and the waitstaff comes out clapping and yeah, singing, singing and making their, their corporate version <laughs> of the birthday song. You can kill them with embarrassment. That's for sure. <laughs> and then once that one, one Borg feels embarrassed, the entire collective does, until uh, they... Jordy, I thought you were my friend. (laughs) You can destroy an entire cube just by blushing them. (laughs) Kind of a lot happens in this episode off screen, and by that I mean this resolution. Yeah. They run down to the runabout Cisco shows up with a bunch of security guys and they're going to make one more attempt at stopping this, but they do not. <laughs> Odo and the kid like board this runabout and fly away, right? Yeah. We and get then it. it's like a, it's like a, everything's back to normal. Like the, the captain's log of no, nothing to see here. Yeah. The, the denouement <laughs> is Odo and Kira post gaming what happened. And it is a fairly abrupt ending wherein Odo tells Kira that she was right all along. And Kira, because she is a good friend to him, doesn't gloat. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird when uh, the I told you so comes from the other direction. Yeah. Um, it's all, I mean, because, like, it's, it's, because it's a you told me so. Right, and and that sort of mirrors the conversation that Cisco has with the chief, right? About like, yeah, that, uh, that dinner party with... Jake's girlfriend did not go the way I anticipated. It kind of went the way you anticipated. Yeah. Which uh, I don't know when the chief became such a great parent. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, that's strange. You know, what we don't get in this episode is the ending of I, Borg, you know, to carry that comparison forward again, which is the idea of maybe they did a bad thing here. There are no bad feelings about their choices. There are bad feelings about their perceptions of a thing that ended up being untrue. Yeah. Which is a very different kind of bad feeling. Because in one of those versions, there is no dread involved for an uncertain future. Yeah, and you also never get the sense, like, nothing they've said to this kid impressed him. He is not going back with, like, some ideas about 
peace justice in the American way. Yeah. Like he's, he's going back because he wants to be a, you know, he wants to be a shock troop that goes in and slaughters people. Like that's all he wants. Yeah. Did you like this episode? I did. I think it kind of like, I do feel genuinely like that. The ending misses uh, a couple of beats that it should have, but I think Avery Brooks is so good at directing the emotional truth out of people. Yeah. And every, you know, the, the last episode we watched where he has the, the scene, the kind of long scene with Miles and Keiko where suddenly their relationship feels real for the first time. That's like a superpower that he apparently has because all of the relationships that are depicted in this feel really real and he gets great performances he out really of everybody does. and tells a story that is already pretty interesting in the most interesting way. Like he, he, he pulls things out of it that wouldn't necessarily be obvious to every director. And uh, I really liked it. I did too. Um, I agree with everything you say about how he depicts the interpersonal relationships of the crew. I really feel like he is making some great specific decisions about how the station looks and feels by virtue of of the camera movements that he's that he's getting out of his his camera person like mm-hmm. he's work he's moving the camera in a z axis a lot in yeah. a way that you don't get like there are bookend compositions in this episode that do that start below and then move to the top of the promenade and he does that here too where we begin with Kira and Odo and we end with Cisco and O'Brien right. and I like that kind of of movement it helps me understand the space and how those spaces relate to each other right and it makes like it it makes the station feel uh feel more intimate too right like if if you were doing if you were cutting from the bottom to the top mm-hmm. you wouldn't understand that these conversations are happening on top of each other yeah and you privacy, can overhear them and stuff yeah privacy yeah. might not be that easy to get in a place like this it's like a small town you know yeah i like that good app well, Adam, should we check and see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, let's see if we have any good P1s. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here today. The first is from Juliet Jones, a.k.a. Kevin Uxbridge. AKA the greatest American meter melon. And it is for Adam Ben, Empress Five of the Meter Melon, and all melonites everywhere. <laughs> what is happening already? I'm confused. Do the do the melonites have like old timey clothing and uh and prairie hair? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh the chances that this isn't something to do with Bintarongs is pretty low, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. It's been a long road getting from my first P1 to here. With the faith of Rashan, I have discovered the great and holy meter melon and the embrace of the warm honeyed bosom. There you go. <laughs> All of this would not be possible without your pod. All glory to the meter melon. Love, Juliet. You know, if you, uh, if you warm up a meter melon... <laughs> and then cut a hole in it. <laughs> it's probably a pretty pleasurable experience. Yeah. 
I'm worried that the worm honeyed bosom might turn into like a dangerous cult. Yeah, I'm getting that feeling too. So far, great cult. Yeah. One of the best cults right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, coordinated jogging outfits, all like all the same haircut and sneakers, which I like. Bunk beds, <laughs> normally a red flag. Yeah. Adam, do we have another priority one message? Sure do. This message is from Jen and Judah, and the message is for Brandon. The message goes like this. By now, the boy is a couple of months old, but in my timeline, I am pretty sure I'm <laughs> experiencing contractions while typing this. Wow. I love you so much, and I'm certain you're doing a great job being a dad. Sorry if I forgot your birthday due to complete exhaustion. Oh, man. And then uh, there's a word here that I'm... There's a phrase here that I'm sure you could pronounce better than me, which is bon anniversaire. <laughs> bon anniversaire. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> I should just tag you in like a like a like a tag team wrestling crew. Yeah, you got to take all the French pronunciations. Maybe I should have read that P one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that this lady went into labor and was like, "Got to go to the hospital, but first sends a P one." That's great. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sending a P1 into the future. Well, great. bon anniversaire and congratulations on your new uh, your new kiddo. Yeah, beautiful. Amazing. Uh, if you, uh, if you're going into contractions, <laughs> head over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You know, labor can last a long time. Some people, it takes 24 hours to give birth. Don't wait until you're fully dilated. Yeah. Type now. <laughs> it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, it's a great way to support the production of this program. And, uh, you know... Do so only if you've got plenty of room in the baby formula budget or whatever. Yeah, make a good, make a good and responsible decision. Yeah. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. 
through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think anytime uh, Odo smiles, he's my drunk Shimoda. <laughs> like, that's put very simply and succinctly, but uh, like chaos agency and smiling and a whole lot of uh, whole lot of strange decisions all point to the idea of Odo being the Shimoda in this ep. And really, like, the control over the story right. that is conferred to him uh, gives him very Shimoda-like qualities. Don't you think at some point after this, Cisco needs to sit down with Odo and have like an employee review where he, he goes like, listen, you're obviously very good at some parts of your job, but you got to knock it off with the like flagrant disregard of orders and stealing runabouts and going and doing shit that are not authorized. Like... We got to work together here, man. Not only is he not getting that kind of performance review, he got an upgraded condo in Deep Space Nine, which you would assume had to do with meritorious conduct. I guess. I mean, maybe he just like never asked for one. So he had a lot of uh, like he's he's not spending money on rent up until now. He didn't have room for the playground in the old place. Yeah, he's uh, he's saving a lot of money. I think you got to put sand underneath the the gymnasium. I mean, if someone falls off of those monkey bars, <laughs> it's an injury waiting to happen. Yeah, or those like fragmented tire pieces that you see now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, recycled Nike tennis shoes. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Uh, I got to give mine to Quark. 
you know, caveat mTOR, definitely an important aspect of buying anything. But uh, again, we have seen Quark now suckered into buying something shitty because somebody was touching his ear. And it just, it it bothers me every time. (laughs) There is a version of this episode, a very early draft, I think, that begins with Quark finding the baby and the episode is about Quark raising him to work in the bar, <laughs> which I think would be hilarious. <laughs> Wait, is that a real thing or you're just imagining? No, I'm like, that's my headcanon. Oh, it's like, there's, you know, there's a draft of this where like, <laughs> Quark needed a new employee. <laughs> but what happens when he finds an orphan Jem Hadar <laughs> who really doesn't like bussing tables? Yeah. How about a, how about a Jem Hadar bouncer, you know? Oh, <laughs> And he bounces people very hard. <laughs> like he's uh, he's looking at people's IDs and then just like throwing them across the promenade. Like he throws the ID at them and the impact <laughs> knocks them back six feet. <laughs> Got to bring a couple of girls. He kills Morn. <laughs> you killed my best customer. but yeah ridiculous uh do we have a ridiculous episode coming up for the next almost always do adam god you ever just reach a moment where the nitro cold brew takes hold Uh and all of a sudden like your butt is an emergency no no like like everything is in such sharp focus (laughs) like more focused than ever yeah we're uh we're recording this this is a bit of a morning app yeah um Next episode is season three, episode seven, Civil Defense. While working in the station's ore processing unit, O'Brien and Jake accidentally activate an automated Cardassian security program. That's pretty fun. Oh, I wonder I wonder if it's related to Echo Papa 607. Yeah, it kind of sounds like that, right? The Amazon description is, a trapped crew fights to save the station from self-destruction when an automated Cardassian security program is accidentally activated. A rare moment of agreement between blurb writers. Has that ever happened? I don't know. I don't think so. Do you think... That's uh, like one of those, it's like a cold open that gives the premise of the show, of the episode away, in a way that is uncharacteristic of most episodes of Deep Space Nine. I love... The ongoing problems having to do with the uh, the bequeathment of a station to the Federation, you know? Like, yeah. Like, I love that I w- it we're in season three and still dealing with that. I wonder if the Voles are involved in some way. <laughs> Maybe the Voles have gained sentience. Adam, remind me where we are on our game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. We are on square six, Ben. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Okay, I'm going to uh, roll them bones. I rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. That puts us on square nine. Ben, it's another standard issue. Great, greatest gen episode coming up. A regular. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to that. Uh, That will be next week. In the meantime... Thank you to all the friends of DeSoto for tuning into this show, recommending the show to friends. We're embarrassed about it, but you don't have to be. Right. And uh, thanks to especially everybody that goes to MaximumFun.org slash donate and uh, supports us on a monthly basis. That's the uh, 
that's the most important source of revenue that this show generates for us. And uh, it's uh, it, like not lying. The main way Adam and I support ourselves these days. And uh, we really appreciate it because the fact that this show means enough to you guys to support it in that way means a lot to us and really amplifies our commitment to doing this and doing the best thing that we can make for you. Yeah, I mean, listener support doesn't just equal beer money. It makes the show as good as it is production-wise. It gives, it allows us to host the show and, and distribute the show at the scale that it is. And that costs money to do. And so we're able to do that because of listener support. We're also able to go out and do tour uh, because of that support. So yep. uh, all of the quote-unquote great ideas we've had <laughs> having to do with growing the show and making it fun and making it great is directly related to the support that we get. So if you've already supported the show financially, thank you. If you're thinking about it, uh, please consider supporting the show in that way by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, who makes all the custom music for this show, and uh, Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song that is uh, the theme song on which all of this is built. That's right. Got to thank our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes uh, customized trading cards of his own based on every episode we do. Got to thank the folks that run the Greatest Gen Wikia and the mods and administrators of the Greatest Gen Facebook and Reddit communities and all the other uh, communities that are out there. If you like to talk about the show online... Uh, join one of those communities or use the hashtag greatest gen on twitter adam is on there at cut for time i'm at benjamin r a h r and we love chatting with you guys with that we'll be back at you next time with another great great episode of star trek deep space nine and an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which much like entrapment will have ben and i slinking around our studios <laughs> avoiding the lasers by yeah. contorting our bodies and do very suggestive poses yeah our asses will be in the air for you guys <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.